Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based psychotherapists and mothers on this body-positive parenting journey with you, here to help you help your children fully bloom. A quick reminder that this podcast is for general information and educational purposes only and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a medical or mental health professional. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast, episode number 61. This season, our theme has been body positive parenting in real life, where we're featuring personalized questions from our patrons. If you'd like a body positive parenting question of your own answered, please consider becoming a patron of the podcast at fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon. Patrons allow us to keep this podcast going strong, and your questions allow us to customize our content for you. This week, it's just me, Zoe. So I enlisted the support of two wonderful podcasters in their own right, twin sisters, Hannah Olivaria and Kelty Green, who co-host the fantastic parenting podcast, Upbringing. Their whole thing is about parenting for sanity and social change, which just feels so on the money right now for what we're all living through. And they brought with them wonderful body positive parenting question where we're going to think through together how body positive parenting applies to kids who may be living with chronic illness, allergies, and other uh, limitations that make navigating this stuff a particularly tricky business. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you and hope you enjoy. Welcome, Hannah and Kelty, to the Full Bloom podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. I'm really happy to have you as well. And um, I'd love just to start by hearing you each tell us a little bit about yourselves and uh, the important work that you do. Wow. Where do we start? Well, um, we always begin with the fact that we're twin sisters. So that might be why you hear one of the same voice saying different things. (laughs) Two people were here and we are uh, mothers to a three, four, five, and six-year-old between the two of us. And we are co-hosts of the Upbringing Podcast and also parent coaches and speakers trained in positive discipline, simplicity, parenting, and Rye. Yeah. Through our work at Upbringing, we basically tried to empower parents to just grow up alongside their kids, especially through their discipline practices. And those are just like all the challenging interpersonal moments around everyone's big feelings and tricky behaviors that we come into experience with a lot as parents, especially right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our focus is on discipline. I think that the relationship between us and our kids is our discipline. It's how we're teaching and learning from one another at the same time. You know, Sometimes we can come off as sounding a little bit radical, but we really do believe that the most challenging moments with our kids are where a lot of incredible growth and connection can happen for both of us. And not just in our home and on an individual level, but within our greater communities and on a collective level. So Kelty and I like to call it 
Parenting for Sanity and Social Change. So that's what we're here to talk about with you today. I feel particularly grateful. Parenting for Sanity and Social Change both feel very relevant to me right now. And I'm excited to talk more about it. And personally, I'm parenting a four-year-old who's sort of it's his metamorphosis into a middle child. And so this sort of idea of positive discipline and Oh, it's selfishly, I'm just very happy that I get to have this support and conversation with you on Saturday night. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. We're going through it too. We're all in this together, right? Yeah. So I know you mentioned Rye in one of the kind of modalities that you're trained in. And Rye parenting is something that has been very important to both me and Leslie. But we haven't talked a whole lot about it on the show. So I wonder if you could maybe give us a little, you know, Rye 101. And then also if you could let that flow into sort of how that has informed your parenting philosophy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First of all, I want to state that we're not official Rye practitioners or associates, but I completed their intensive foundations course a few years back, and it really deepened our knowledge and understanding of their philosophy and approach. But Rye is something that can look really different to everybody. And Kelty and I discovered Rye as young parents um, when our girls were just babies. And it really changed the course of our parenting experience and work. And for those of you who aren't that familiar with Rye, it began over 40 years ago with Magda Gerber and Dr. Emmy Pickler in Hungary and then moved with Magda to Los Angeles where their headquarters are now. And now there are so many pr practitioners of Rye. There's so many blogs, so many books. It's really become quite a movement. And I feel like if we had to sum up the basic principles of Rye, we would say that their beliefs connect to a daily practice of cultivating a sensitive awareness of our babies and our kids and even our teenagers. And it kind of fosters this idea of seeing our kids as capable equals, worthy of our respect and thoughtful support right from the get-go, like from when they're infants. Mm -hmm. I feel like Rye inspired us to communicate authentically with our babies, to yeah. bring them as active participants into caregiving activities like diapering, bathing, feeding. It inspired us to, and still does, um, support independent play, allow our kids to develop motor activities and skills naturally. Uh, the whole emotional spectrum thing is very Raya saying, feel all the feelings, welcome all the feelings, and just supporting their inner directedness and having a basic trust, I think, that our modeling of skills and values is more than enough for us to be nurturing their growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like, a, that sounds like a lot of work, Kelty. Yeah. <laughs> say. But I think not. I feel like it's less work. As new moms who, I mean, we were putting in a, a lot of pressure on ourselves to do it right. I'm, I'm sure we weren't the only ones. And I feel like Rye gave us this permission to kind of lighten up and loosen up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it took a really huge pressure off our shoulders and helped us learn how to shift our energy away from feeling those common and understandable needs to like entertain our kids, micromanage, praise, judge, generally over control. And it helped us shift that energy to more of a, like a mindful space of trust and connection that really ultimately resonated with who we are as highly sensitive people. It really worked with our, our personalities for mm -hmm. sure. You know, a lot of our friends are kind of like, oh, wow, you're you're not making them finish their dinner. Okay. They said they didn't have to pee before going to the park. You're not going to make them. You, so you never, ever tell them which clothes they should wear or insist that they share, say please or thank you. That's so laid back. But I think that a lot of what Rye promotes and what we're also practicing here at Upbringing is 
about controlling our kids less in the moment and instead using what he and I call powers beyond control to teach using these moments of collaboration and partnership and focusing on creating positive context and giving information, asking questions so that our kids can kind of like attune and like modeling our butts off. (laughs) (laughs) That's the hard part. I think, and just for those listening who aren't familiar, RIE is an acronym, R-I-E. It stands for resources in infant educaring. And sometimes people are like, rye, like the bread. (laughs) And I, I, I too came to rye parenting actually with my second baby. And it was, I mean, it was revolutionary because with my first baby, I, I was sort of feeling that internal sense of needing to attend to and sort of entertain. And if I heard a cry, attend to pick up, you know, and I think I really relate to what you're saying about sort of the liberation that came with being told, no, just like, it's okay, like put him on his back and just let him find his belly. Like, don't put him on his belly for tummy time. Like, that was one that I thought was really interesting. And I I found the sort of kind of physicality piece of it fascinating because Rye really talks about, and you talk about, this sort of respect, but also um, wisdom that our babies have, like from birth. And obviously they need structure to some extent from us. They need limits and guidance, but there's so much wisdom right away. And I remember watching him sort of discover rolling from his back to his tummy and just being like, wow, he's doing it. I'm not propping him up. I'm not helping him do it. He's writhing. He's struggling. He's crying, but I'm not rushing in to save him. I'm giving him this opportunity to discover something. And I I love the way Rye kind of respects the body in that way. And I know you touched upon this as it pertains to like toileting. And we haven't talked much about that on the podcast. Um, But I think that there's so much inherently body positive about that method um, or that philosophy. And so, um, yeah, just kind of geeking out on Rye with you right now. Yeah, loving it. (laughs) I think that you, you really touched on that idea of saying from birth, it can be a conversation with our babies to understand what is our responsibility and what is their responsibility in our relationship. And there's no guidebook about it. You know, there's no like, well, parents are supposed to do this and kids to do this and then kids grow. And then what's our job then? And I love that idea that it says it's a conversation from the start and we just need to be paying attention. Yeah. And also just to give some credibility to what you were saying before with uh, all the people that say, oh, you're so laid back. There's a laid back nature to it, but there's also a lot of limits in Rye. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I found so compelling about it that like you were saying everybody has their role to play and in rye you may allow your child to explore and be in charge of making the decision like you were saying about when to use the bathroom but you're not letting them get into danger and that might be like covering an outlet or making sure that they're not pushing past their limits and so i know there are so many ways in which it can be misunderstood as like a like a free range free for all but that's not quite what it is i think there's a lot of intention around creating space so that children can explore i mean would would you would you agree 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, mean, I wouldn't, I'd say it's rise in the middle way in my mind where it's, we're not neglecting our child's needs and we're not acquiescing to all of them either. Right. You know, we're finding that middle way with them to attune to their needs and we're teaching them attunement by attuning to them at the beginning. Yeah. I think I like that you had said you felt a pressure to attend. And I like that that we've found that ability instead to attune instead of attending. And when we're, you know, as Rye parents, I think we've been encouraged to just sit and watch our baby play and not feel we need to, for example, like stimulate them or wave a toy in front of their face. And same goes for toddlers or kids of any age, but that doesn't mean that we're not paying attention. And and I think that's another misconception is just in that free range way, you go do you, I go do me. But a lot of it is being there and noticing and, and keeping that more internal and have and developing an awareness of how at times we can sort of like get in our kids' way a little overpower. bit or, or overpower mm-hmm. or distract or or dominate a situation, even with the best intentions, right? Yeah. Um, and I'll just say for listeners who who do listen to the podcast and are maybe familiar with the division of responsibility and feeding, that's sort of the Ellen Satter models that we talk a lot about on the show. Perhaps you, particular listeners who are familiar with that, could see why Leslie and I would be so attracted to Rye as well as the Division of Responsibilities, because it's all sort of one and the same, right? Creating the structure so that you really can give free range to your child, like you were alluding to before, to sort of not finish their meal if they're not hungry, because we don't know any better than they do, or we certainly don't know as well as they do what's going on in their internal system. And, and we're here at Full Bloom we're so encouraging of parents being very protective of their children's internal regulation system with respect to emotions and appetite as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that resonated with us. All those episodes, we just like gobbled them up and shared them with everybody. Mm-hmm. They were amazing. Good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Well, listen, tell us a little bit more about your parenting philosophy, because I'd love for you to introduce our listeners to sort of more more about what you've created that uh, we can imagine Rye is sort of baked into. Yeah, Rye's baked in there. Um, if we thought about our influences, I've never thought about this before. That would be an interesting exercise um, to consider um, what else has influenced us because this is all just kind of mold and boiled and um, emerged as we've become mothers. It started um, when we had our first daughters. But I think that what we've began, begun to learn, excuse me, um, and what has become our practice at upbringing is that our role as parents can be to respectfully support our kids in learning about who they are and not who we want them to be. And that's the idea. Respect is seeing our child as an individual and not as an extension of who we are or a mini replica of who we are, if that makes sense. And it's based on that idea that Our role, as I said, isn't to tell our kids what their beliefs and experience and needs should be, but to help them, as we mentioned earlier, tune into their own experience of the world. We want them to know who they are and what they're into, right? And I think we talk about gaze a lot and how it's so easy as parents and with that power we were talking about that we're not even aware of all the time to unwittingly train our kids' gaze on us and on other people. And what we're trying to do, which is just a lot of work and a lot of practice, is to work on training their gaze on their own unique bodies and thoughts and motivations and feelings. Um, And that's what Kelsey and I call 
you know, each person's spirit, which we break into inner wisdom and inner authority. I don't know. We feel like there's plenty of time and exposure to um, the outside world's expectations to come, which you guys go into so much on the podcast. <laughs> we get is, but yeah. what about society? If we're, mm-hmm. we're, you know, keeping that gaze, looking yeah. at, at our kids and, and their attunement and their exploration of self. What a, when's it going to go outside them? How can it go? Aren't outside? they just going to be selfish and totally just like inner focused? Yeah. And, but we really believe that outside in approach, and that you know ultimately we're all we're all ladies, you know, trying to figure out who we are and what we want. I really think that knowing oneself intimately and loving that self unconditionally is one of the most powerful gifts and freedoms that we can give to our kids, and it's something that absolutely overlaps with body positivity for sure. You know, completely. And I think that we really try to make an effort to clarify that body positive parenting, it's sort of integrative, right? And we, of course, are concerned with body image and uh, feeding and making sure that parents have their heads screwed on correctly when it comes to making sure that food, there should be no morality in food and there should be equal opportunity, right, for kale and chocolate. But the emotional life of the child, right, like what I feel like what your work is really focused on is so part of it. And I think it's partly why I love the episodes we do where we feature guests like yourself, um, like yourselves, there's two of you, and other people that focus a little bit more broadly on whether it's parenting or topics like resilience and and just the emotional life of the child. Because part of what, and I I know you know because you listen to our show, but part of what we're so obsessed with is helping parents and the providers that support them help kids not be bogged down with all this bullshit, right? That is so hard to avoid because when you're preoccupied with weight, shape, appearance, ideals, you are completely disembodied. I mean, that's sort of what happens, right? And I know a lot of the language you even use when you're talking about raising children, I hear you using these words like embodiment or attunement. And so it's like a perfect marriage in so many ways. And I feel like our listeners will benefit from checking out your website and will also link to your stuff on our show notes to explore the framework that you put forth because you are absolutely supporting emotional well-being and that's a big a big goal of ours too yeah and don't, never forget sanity and social change <laughs> uh, we need it more now than ever so part of why we had you on is because you are also body positive parents. Of course, you're much more than that. But we love that we can feature you in real life. Um, That's sort of the theme of the season. And um, I know you you brought a question um, that I think our listeners will appreciate. And it's not the first time this type of question has come up. So I'm wondering if maybe one of you can read the question. And then maybe we could just sort of knock some ideas around for how to answer it, pulling from your parenting philosophy and also sort of the body positive parenting uh, handbook. Great. I love that idea. Yes. Okay. So here is our question. Um, It is around how we can best support kids who are ill or have chronic allergies or medical issues right now. 
How can we be showing them how to love and care for their bodies when they so often feel betrayed by or stressed out about them? Um, so Kelty and I have been considering this uh, based on three cases. Uh, my six-year-old daughter's eczema, which she's had since she was around one, and then two coaching clients of ours, one whose eight-year-old son has diabetes and has since he was, I believe, four, and the other whose 10-year-old daughter has a peanut allergy and she's currently undergoing oral desensitization for it. And just to like expand on the question a little bit, you know, my daughter feels self-conscious a lot of the time when she has eczema breakouts and on and off really dislikes and pushes back against the lotion protocol. And the client's boy who has diabetes, he wears a glucose monitor on his arm. He has insulin shots multiple times a day, like I think seven times a day, and then tests his blood um, four times and can't you know, just eat any food at any moment. And then our client's um, daughter that has the peanut allergy you know, can't enjoy food at restaurants or birthday parties, road trips, sleepovers, and often feels really left out. And we group these three together because all of them have reported saying, things or expressing things like, why me? And is this going to be forever? Or, you know, I, I hate the way my arms look or feel right now. And there have been a lot of moments too where they've, you know, they've resisted our parental help in caring for their conditions. And so I guess our question is that, you know, when they're feeling weakened and different or embarrassed or plagued or overwhelmed by this constant chronic care and separation kind of from their social lives, Due to these conditions, you know, how can we as parents lovingly insist on that care? How can we support their struggle and find a way to keep their body positivity strong, you know, in the process? I love this question so much. And I'm also finding myself eager to hear what you think because you have such a wealth of wisdom when it comes to answering things like this. And somewhat inspired by a lot of what you both talk about, my first thought is I want to I want to check in with these parents right including you because you're one of them and make a lot of space first and foremost to find out how do you feel about this like how is it for you that not just that you have to see your kid distressed because that as a parent like that there's sort of nothing worse I think but what is this like for you I mean and with respect to a regular rash or um, the fact that your kid has to wear a glucose monitor. And I'm thinking of other situations where we've worked with parents or talked to parents where there's something different about their kid, whether it's the kid's size or a port for another kind of medical condition. Like what's really coming up for you as a parent? And we really want to make space to, in a very non-judgmental way, so that parents can say something like, I hate this. I hate that my kid has this issue, if that's indeed how you feel, right? Or um, I really wish my kid didn't have this difference. I really wish my kid didn't have diabetes. Um, this is a real drag. This is a real pain in my ass. Like, this is not what I signed up for as a parent. Like, whatever the kind of dark thought feeling might be about this, we really want to air it. I think about it when we have parents of kids in larger bodies that, you know, how do we sort of help them when they're saying, I hate my body, which is sort of one of the kind of quotes I know that you shared here. And again, kind of starting with the parent, like, how do you feel about this? Is there any 
part of you that's saying, yeah, I hate this too. It's hard to look at the rash. It's hard, you know, because we really want to start from a completely non-judgmental place, but we kind of can't get there without identifying our own judgments. I feel like this is maybe even something you will would have already said or thought, but I'm curious sort of how you feel about where I'm starting with this. I feel so good about it, <laughs> <Yeah>. Zoe. <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, Kelsey and I are in the parent coaching realm, so we're like, everybody, and I think parenting in general, always focuses on the child. And we're like, they're struggling. They have this problem. And I think you bring up such an amazing point that like, it wouldn't really be a struggle we were bringing up if we weren't struggling with their yeah. struggle. That is an inherent part of this. And I think that, you know, we talk about, a lot of pe- folks talk about how important it is to be caring for ourselves and noticing ourselves and attuning to ourselves first and foremost as parents, if we're going to be able to do the same thing with our kids. So I think it's a perfect place to start. But reflecting on that personally, like I hadn't even thought to bring that up, but you know, my daughter's eczema is really tricky. I think because the feelings that come up are mostly triggered feelings. You know, I know she's adaptable. I, I believe it's going to go away. I, you know, we're on board with trying to get naturopathic stuff. You know, but I think the response that is triggered in me is from when I had really incredibly dry hands as a kid, and they would crack and bleed, and it would happen like every winter for several years. And I just remember feeling so embarrassed by them. And, you know, and I'm not even projecting that that's going to happen to her. It's really just coming from the, the child within me experiencing that again through her. And then having spoken with these uh, just other amazing women who are parenting in ways that I could never even imagine parenting with um, a child with diabetes and a child with a, a food allergy. Um, one of them mentioned that a huge part of this for her, you know, we we were talking with them about how are they working to to work with their child. But the things that kept coming up were really just their own personal experiences through it. It's mm. like like exactly like you said, that they needed to just get those out and experience and bring those up to the surface um, to examine and move through before they could even be like, how am I going to deal with this glucose monitor? Like That's not even the top of my issue right now. And I think one of them mentioned that what she struggled with the most was just feeling overlooked and under-acknowledged in her struggle but comparatively to other parents where she goes up and shows up to something and she looks around and she's just like, no one else has to do this. No one else knows Mm. how hard this is and how like that I can't ever be off. That I always have to be constantly doing math in my mind and constantly thinking what he eats next could put him into you know, hospital, like that constant vigilance is something that no one else seems to be able to relate to because it's not visible. Nobody can really see it. And so I think that that was one of her really big struggles. And then I think that this other mother, one of her big reflections that she shared with us was just really more of the fatigue of the constant monitoring and then the fatigue of the feeling like my daughter isn't like everybody else and we can't be the same as everyone else as a family and she's struggling with it and I'm struggling with it. And how do I see to her struggle with you know having a, a marginalized life when it comes to food when I'm struggling with that too? I love food. I love eating out. I love going places and having big group dinners. And like, wow, this is really, really tough. It's so tough. And I'm thinking too, like if that particular mother was also like really into body positive parenting and like really wanting to raise an intuitive eater and, you know, make sure that her kid isn't afraid of food, you know, whoa, what an added challenge because the rules aren't the same. I mean, again, like my, that initial compassion just like bursts out of me for, 
like all parents, frankly, but particularly for parents that are parenting a child with some kind of difficulty. And let's face it, these are challenges, what you're describing, whether it's a cosmetic challenge or a physical. I mean, I'm imagining the eczema itches. Like you said, your hands were like cracked and bloody. That sounds uncomfortable, you know, and peanut allergies and diabetes. I mean, these are like serious medical issues. And so the amount of anxiety that these parents are walking around with, I think it's probably not easier, but more intuitive to express the worries more so than to express the darker feelings of, like I was saying before, like, I really wish this wasn't the case or, you know, even darker. Like, I I, I can't look at that part of my kid. It's gross. It grosses me out. You know, like, again, it's less about trying to put words in anyone's mouth and more about, like, giving permission for kind of like what we're trying to do with our kids, making space for them to feel all the feelings, right? We need to, as parents, um, allow ourselves to kind of admit to what sometimes is hard to admit. And I think that sometimes we need a little extra help finding what's hard to say. Yeah. I feel like it's something we come up against a lot, which is it can be both and feel like crap about it and resent it and just think it's the worst thing ever and be totally in it and know what it's all about and all the good things too. But I think that that it's true. It's hard to have or to find those safe places and those the energy behind that to, to be able to confess those things and not feel like a bad parent uh, mm-hmm. saying them, you know? Mm-hmm. I think permission. Thank you for, for saying that yeah. for everyone listening it to us too permission. It's so important. I mean, it's like, right, we're, we're probably better at giving it to our kids than we are to ourselves. Yeah. But that's the growing up together opportunity. And that's yeah, what, what Kelsey and I are all about is saying, oh my gosh, like as our kids are struggling through something, we're struggling. And then guess what? We get to apply all the same things that we're working for them to ourselves. You know, they're learning, we're unlearning, we're, we're, <laughs> we're tuning, building that inner wisdom and authority that maybe was a little bit underdeveloped as, as kids, you know? Yeah, it's like a second chance. No, I love that growing up together um, language. I think that, you know, once we sort of check out ourselves, right, and like all the darker caves within ourselves, I think in sort of shifting attention to our kids, especially like I'm coming at this from that sort of body positive parenting perspective. And I'm, I'm thinking about how body positivity in terms of its sort of like social justice roots, right? It's really about thinking about all bodies, right? Abled bodies, disabled bodies, rashy bodies, perfectly toned bodies, fleshy bodies, like all the bodies, right? All the colors of the bodies, like as worthy of a good life, right? Of, of As worthy of a full life. And I'm thinking about how if kids are coming to us to express concern, one, good job parents that you have a kid that's coming to you to express that, right? Like even something like why me or I hate my body. I think the mere fact that they're able to come to you to say that you're doing something right. And beyond the sort of validation that I'm sure we can all talk about what what we want to offer the kids that are sort of upset about this stuff. I want us to also think about how we have to sort of be real about where the limitations are, right? And like body positivity isn't necessarily about getting everybody to feel 110% about their body. If somebody's at a, you know, if it's a zero to 10, someone's at a negative two, like maybe we're just trying to get them to a two or three in terms of their attitude towards the part of their body that is 
driving them so crazy or the part of their body system, like their endocrine system, they're really angry at, you know? And, and so I think thinking about this relatively is important um, for parents setting expectations that we're not here to necessarily turn that I hate my body into I love my body, but rather I tolerate my body or I have a body. So I'm, I'm sort of throwing that out there in a kind of abstract way and I'm curious how it lands. I love it. It all resonates so much. Kelsey and I are just giving each other mm-hmm. like starry eyes. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> But I think that what we're hearing you say is that we had a huge opportunity here with these specific medical challenges or in approaching our kid's body in any way is normalizing it, whatever it is they're bringing to us, whatever it is they're experiencing it. And I think that that goes directly against these job descriptions that we've been kind of strangely given as parents, which tells us that we need to fix struggle. We need to have them help them ignore struggle or distract them from struggle or cheer mm-hmm. them up from struggle. And I think that a huge part of, you know, we've examined kind of what our our backstory is in experiencing these struggles as a parent. But then it's like the next question is kind of like, well, what's our goal like you bring up? And I think so much of it, just like you said, is that is acknowledging that it's a practice and that it's a long game. And that we don't have to fix anything or do anything beyond just experiencing that struggle with our kids, which is a lot. It has, I've noticed that it has been a lot easier once I have acknowledged and normalized that struggle within me first. Absolutely. And it's reminding me of like what you said in terms of simplicity parenting, just this like less is more idea that oftentimes these questions, why me? I hate my body. Um, all this, please fix it, please fix it. It's sort of how we hear it, right? But to reframe it as it just happened, <laughs> like the thing happened, they came to me and and if, even if you can say, I'm so glad you're telling me this, tell me more. Um, we had an amazing guest on, Dr. Becky, who was giving us this little script, which is, it, it just feels very relevant here, where if your kid can come to you and say something like that, I'm so glad you're telling me this. You really know you feel this way. Wow, you really hate your body in this moment. Tell me more. It's just a way to validate and to sort of say, yeah, like you know how you feel. Tell me about it. And for a parent, I mean, oh my gosh, we so want to take that pain away from them, right? Yeah, and I love that. Dr. Becky's amazing. And I think just knowing that we have the power with a few words to when our kid comes to a struggling to either help them associate to their bodies or disassociate to their bodies. That is what it is, is saying, I'm honoring and helping you understand and, and feel safe and giving you permission to experience something. And when we minimize or, or fix or deny or reject or all these things due to, which I've done due to my incredible fear and personal discomfort, um, you know, it kind of does the opposite a little bit. And that's kind of what we're wanting to, to build awareness around is how do our responses, our, it just has to be a response to our child. It doesn't have to be anything beyond that that can really make a huge change in how they view their challenge and their bodies for a long time, you know? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's, it's in the moment, it can feel like nothing. (laughs) I know that just from personal experience. I can just, I just know and empathize with anyone that just feels totally ineffective. (laughs) Like, oh, I've done nothing. But even just hearing you say it, it's like, no, I know if, if we can just keep validating and, you know, 
showing them that it's okay, right, to feel pain and to not be able to change it or fix it right away. I mean, I'm thinking about these kids, like maybe the eczema will resolve, um, the peanut allergy won't probably, and I, I don't I don't think the diabetes will either. It sounds like it's juvenile diabetes. Like that's a lifelong chronic illness. And, uh, you know, just to sort of sit in that sort of like mourning the loss of something that you never had, right? Like we, we need to be able to do that as parents and also both model that and sort of teach our, I think maybe teach our kids how to do that. Do you think that's a, a reasonable thing to say to teach them how to do that or that they can do that or should do that? Absolutely. And I think that's part of normalizing the struggle is giving us permission and them permission to lean into that and explore that and grow from it. I think that it's all perception. It's all about our mindset. If we think that their struggle about this thing shouldn't be happening and is wrong and is unfair and is unnecessary, those are all okay feelings to have. But if those become beliefs that inform our approach to caring for them, then that can be a little bit problematic. And I think something Kelty and I talk about and that kind of division of responsibility we mentioned earlier is saying like as a parent with a child struggling with anything related to their body or beyond, you know, we need to, to see to the physical self, which we call the visible world, but not at the expense of their emotional health, which we call the invisible world. And how can we be holding those two things together and trying to keep those in balance? Because I think that immediately when it's a health thing, especially we're like, oh dear God, we've got to dive into this physical health. And so it leads us to focus so much on you know, the information and why it's so important. And really it can lead us to push them in ways that cause more distance, cause more uh, resistance, that cause more emotions. Um, and that's the last thing we want to be doing. So trying to hold those two things at the same time. Kel, what were you going to say? Yeah, I think we, we spoke about it a few days ago when we were talking about this. It's sort of like we as parents often just live in logistics land. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have all of these intentions. We have things that need to get done around our kids' bodies, around their health. And it's hard to realize that they don't live in that land. They live in emotion land. And that we have to kind of you know bridge that. We have to reach in to them, into their experience, into their personal lens to be able to kind of shore up that gap and overlap the two worlds and to get things done and to stay connected through it. Mm. Yeah. Again, easier said than done in those moments where your kid is raging emotionally, you know, but I think it's very well said. I'd love to ask each of you to answer our final question, which is just if each parent listening to this podcast took away and did just one thing, one specific thing on the regular What's the one thing you would recommend they do to help their child fully bloom? Do you want to tag team it? Because I feel like it's kind (laughs) of a big one because it's so like chock full of amazingness. I feel like yours is kind of more important than mine. And I'm just looking at a few of your notes here where it's like, I can imagine you talking about this for like a a good minute (laughs) or two. Um, So let's let's go with with yours and I fully endorse it. Okay. And I will chime in as necessary. Okay, cool. I think that this has been coming up a lot in our live sessions and coaching sessions and in our own life because, well, basically it's the circle back. That's what it's called. And I think parenting is really hard. And right now we're all parenting even more hours a day and with more stress than usual, whether we're supporting a child's chronic medical condition or just moving through the pandemic um, and all of its complications. 
it's important to focus on progress, not perfection. And that's something we really talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when we totally lose it in the moment, which we've been doing a lot right hand, mm-hmm. um, or we feel like maybe we, you know, under supported our kid or we just couldn't handle the big feelings or resistance or crazy behaviors, we try to remind ourselves and others that that's totally okay because we have the circle back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like circling back is a really huge parenting superpower where we get to come back with our kids to, and this can be no matter what age, Mm -hmm. by the way, too, but where we can come back to connect about something that's happened or has been happening. So in this particular, these situations, it could be something that's going on. They're resisting their glucose monitor. They're struggling with the with the lotion or about the peanut allergy, or it could be truly anything that's happening because guess what? Kids are struggling with everything right now and we're struggling with their struggle. Mm -hmm. But I think contrary to what we've been raised to believe, kids and really anyone from that matter, we can't learn when we're upset. So that's not how brains work. And I think that if we're upset and our kids are upset also, it's really easy to just push past that and feel like our job as parents is to inform and fix and problem solve and teach in the moment with our kids. We care so much. And I know that your listeners care so much too. They're all really aware and intentional people. And I think that sometimes it is possible for us to connect with our kids in the moment about what they're struggling through. But the times when our kids aren't ready or we're not able to stay regulated, it's okay because we have this circle back thing. Yeah, I think to keep try to keep it brief, it can be at bedtime, it can be over a meal or during a quiet walk. You know, it can be like that we had a terrible blow up during insulin earlier in the day. You say something like, Hey, I noticed you haven't been so keen on your morning insulin shot. What's what's up? How's it going? Or, you know, there was a big meltdown at the birthday party because she couldn't eat the cake. Um, you could say something like, You seemed kind of bummed earlier at the birthday party. How were you feeling when the cake came out and you had to have your special little cupcake. Or like you would say to your daughter, Hannah, when she's just going through a week where mm-hmm. she's just never wanting the lotion and then it makes it itchier. So it makes it more sore to put it on and she's scratching it all up. And you could say something like, I'm sorry, I didn't handle the evening lotion routine very well tonight. I kind of just put it on you really hard, but I want to hear what you're going through so I can do better next time. Or we can storytell. We can say, oh, I, want, I really want to tell you about this funny story about when I wasn't excited about taking baths when I was your age. Can I tell you about it? You know, so we can find these like moments of calm to connect. I love that. And I am literally going to do that tomorrow. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I really appreciate the, the two of you spent some time with me this evening. Thank you for joining. Thank you Thank for you having so much. us. It was it meant wonderful. a lot. So that's our show. We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode. So please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. Thank you all for listening and remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom. Wisdom.